Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to one of our Guilty Feminist Nights Out. This was recorded well before lockdown and though COVID is mentioned, it was not at that time the government guidelines to stay in. We hope you enjoy the feeling of a live show. We know we're missing having a live audience and I'm sure that a lot of you are missing being in a live audience. So we're very happy to present to you our 200th Guilty Feminist episode live from the Women of the World Festival at the Royal Festival Hall in London. I'm a feminist, but... Today, before coming here to The Guilty Feminist at the WOW Festival, London, at the Royal Festival Hall, I really, really thought I'd nailed my outfit. I feel like I've put together an outfit that makes me look like Jackie Onassis. Makes me look, I feel really Jackie Kennedy. That's what I feel. I feel so Jackie Kennedy. And I felt so pleased with myself. And then Susan McComber turned up into the green room looking like Marilyn fucking Monroe. And we all know which one JFK picked. We all know. And I said to her, Susie, that is a hostile act. I am going to need 24 hours notice in future if you're going to turn up in an off the shoulder Marilyn Monroe number. I think that's fair. Absolutely fair. I'm a feminist, but 
even if the bullying accusations against Priti Patel are sexist and unfounded, I'd still like her to be sacked. They're not unfounded. No, she's horrible. I can't make her out. I'm a feminist, but... Did I tell you or did I tell you? Look at that dress. Look at that dress, then look at what I'm wearing, which is basically a sparkly tweed over a pyjama. It's true, though. I do look like Marilyn Monroe. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Admits it. Admits it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a feminist, but um, <laughs> uh, I was half an hour late for the tech um, choosing this Marilyn Monroe dress. So sorry about that, Tom Zinsky. <laughs> well, it was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. Such ah. a shame that this is a podcast. <laughs> These people have turned up live. They deserve that dress. They deserve that dress. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but backstage, they were just talking to me about the book signing I'm doing here after the show. And they said, because of coronavirus, uh, we are going to say that we'd prefer that you didn't have selfies with anyone or hug anyone or kiss anyone or touch anyone. Just could you just sign their book and just wave them off? And I said, no, I'm a feminist. I can't be like, I will sign your book. Please do not make direct eye contact with me. I'm a woman of the people. That's my whole thing. And somebody else went, oh, well, another comedian, he did it. He just said no. I said, that's his whole brand. His whole brand is go away. My whole brand is come here. (laughs) But anyway, it turns out I can sign your book, but I cannot stop you. Sorry if that's disappointing. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I go to centre parks a lot with my kids. And I, I just got back uh, from a trip and um, we were going swimming and I put my costume on in the chalet to save a bit of time when we got there. And I realised that I had a, a lot of um, hair coming out of my costume. Um, it, was on, it was on me, by the way. I hadn't bought a costume with lots of <laughs> pubic hair, but I'm sure Gucci or Prada. And so what I did was... I don't care about the hair, by the way, but at centre parks, if you've got a few stray hairs, everyone stares at your vagina and it's very annoying. So I went into the kitchen in the chalet in centre parks, which are always really badly stocked, like their cutlery's always really blunt and they've never got like, the pans are always like, they're never non-stick. And I got a big blunt scissors and I just chopped away. And then I made my son get a dustpan and brush and then sweep them up. Wow. I, I did actually do that. Did you? Yeah. Well, that's turning the tables on the patriarchy. Well, there wasn't loads of it. Like, the, it was, that's, wasn't I don't it. think the amount is the issue I there. I don't think it's, he's going to remember that. Listen, he's got to have something to talk about in therapy. You've been such good parents in every other way. And he stacked the dishwasher as well. <laughs> that will come up less with the therapist, I think. <laughs> Did you put the scissors back in, or did you, oh like, sterilise them first? Uh, no, I blew the extra hairs off and put it back in the... Oh, my God. Okay. I'm on holiday. I'm not washing a scissor. No, no. If you go to centre parks, be aware of using any scissors, I would say. Especially the blunt ones. Especially no. blunt ones. Anything in a shared kitchen space, maybe give it a little bit of a sterilised, especially now with coronavirus. Not that you can catch it, probably, from... 
Excuse me. <laughs> I don't oh, think my you, pubes. Can you yeah, catch no. a, you can't catch coronavirus from pubic hairs? I suppose you can. We'll find out. <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm a feminist, but I, I'm doing a, a TV show at the moment uh, which involves quite a bit of nudity. And what's happened in recent years is that there's now these people called intimacy coordinators. And so they come in and they make sure that everybody feels comfortable and safe. And so we've got this great intimacy coordinator called Yarrit. Shout out to Yarrit. And... Um, Yes, yes, she's lovely. And, you know, we have a big in-depth conversation about, you know, what do you feel like you as Susan want to show and what do you think is right for the character and, you know, what about sex on television have you seen before that you don't think is, you know, real or, you know, diverse? And I had loads of ideas because I've been whinging about this shit for ages. And so she asked me, she was like, okay, right, Susan, now just talk to me, like, you know, person to person, what are you comfortable showing and what you're not? And I, without even thinking, I was like, tits, my, I'm happy to show my breasts. They are, they're great and they're fantastic. She was like, noted. <laughs> and then it gets to the scene and I am like, okay, it's the day where I show my breasts. This is it, this is it. I get to share this joy with the rest of the world. <laughs> and she turns up with these two like nipple covers and she was like, don't you worry, I've got you. You can just put these over your nipples. And I was like, what? And she was like, no, you, I've got you. You don't have to go through the ordeal of flashing your breasts. And I just thought, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I want to show my breasts. And she's stopping me, so that's a shame, isn't it? Did, <laughs> did you show them in the end? No, they were covered. I was like, what the fuck is this? It's just like mounds with just like two fucking pale things. On, it's just not what I imagined for <laughs> my breasts debut. It wasn't HBO then. No, it wasn't. <laughs> if anyone from HBO was looking for a brilliant actress to put in something... Susie Wacoma is quite keen to show her breasts, so that's good to know. Are we ready to start the show? Live from the Royal Festival Hall, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Susan Wacoma, and very special guests Sean Clifford, Bridget Christie and Joy Crooks talking about likability. Can I just say, the tag-in is Wow Global... Yes. Because I have been furiously uh, tagging uh, Wow London UK. And that, as it turns out, uh, is somebody's sort of craft shop. It's 3D, <laughs> 3D printed geeky goodness. Customer orders on request via our Etsy page. A husband and wife team based in the UK. Lovely. International shipping. Oh. But it looks nice. So, but I have been plugging the fuck out of them. <laughs> They're Etsy. They're making things, so they're saying they're getting ready for Easter here with new personalised chick feet egg cup holders. Oh, that's nice. Kinder eggs, wow. You've got the names on them. Mm. When was the last post? Was that like, oh, it was recent. Yeah. Oh, you've been helping then. You've been... They are up and running, yeah. They're not dormant. I thought they were dormant. They're not dormant. No, they're active. So give wow underscore London underscore UK a little look for your Easter and uh, gift needs. (laughs) But don't copy them into this festival because they don't know why I'm doing it. <laughs> and they've not complained either. They've not said, would you stop? Or could, Who we, are you? could we provide some merch? Or nothing. They've just acted like it's not happening. They're a husband and wife team and they're British. They're probably quite awkward about it. Yeah, they're probably like... Ugh. 
But also, is, are there any hashtags we should be doing if you're hashtagging WowLDN? Yes. Oh, hashtag WowLDN, yes. I think that's the main one, isn't it? Yes, that's the main one if you're here, so do that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, so I should say, as is tradition, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. <laughs> I'm Deborah Francis-White. This is Susan Wacoma, and today we're talking about likability. <laughs> We're talking about being likable because mm. I feel like the pressure to be likable is always upon us and never more this week than with the sad departure of Elizabeth Warren from the Democratic leadership race. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, where people kept saying from the beginning, well, she's got to get rid of that Hillary mantle of not being likable. What, what, what's she got to do with Hillary Clinton? Well, she's a woman, isn't it? That's that must it, be it. That's it, that's it. It is frustrating, the idea that... I mean, I'm not saying anything brand new, but the idea that you have to be likeable as a woman and then you have the President of the United States, the, the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't come into it doesn't come at into all. It. In really fact, doesn't. the direct opposite is celebrated and is seen as being truthful and being, like, one of us. But because there is somebody who wants to present facts and present themselves as somebody who's legitimately someone that you should vote for, that's seen as not being likeable. You just can't win, I don't think. Well, literally. I, I mean, certainly to date, women just can't win the American presidential election. It's just no. a fact, Susie. Yeah. Just can't win. But I don't know how much more likeable than any human could be than Elizabeth Warren. She is... I mean, I know all politicians have had controversies, but if you watch her debate, she's pretty charming. She's pretty... Am I wrong? She's pretty... Oh, bloody, oh my God, these are not like... She's pretty, uh, no. She's pretty likeable. <laughs> Some people do not find her likeable. No? Who don't? Who, who do, show who, of hands, who doesn't... Just, just, well, it's a podcast, so should we do a cheer? Oh, yeah, do a cheer then. Okay, cheer <laughs> if you find Elizabeth Warren likeable. <laughs> cheer if you find her unlikable. Okay. okay. So not that many people find her unlikable. That's not to invalidate you at no, all. Your opinion is your opinion, of course. But, but you're wrong. Now, let's just cheer <laughs> if you... <laughs> no, not, not, not wrong, just different. Strong and wrong. Stop, but, but <laughs> now, I'm sure if you find Donald Trump likeable, uh, if you find him unlikable, <laughs> full house there. A full house, a full house. A full house. It's possible here at Wow London we might be in a bubble. We might be in a bubble. <laughs> we might be in a little bubble. Why doesn't everyone want to be in our bubble, though? It's such a good bubble. It's such a nice bubble. It's a lovely bubble. It's a bubble of compassion and kindness yeah. and charm and, you know, connection. Yeah. Why is it, actually, let's investigate this. Why do people not want to be in this bubble? Maybe it's because this bubble means that you have to possibly come into the bubble thinking a set of things, and then once you're in the bubble, you have to go, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's, oh, I didn't know that. And I've got, oh, I've got to learn that. And I think that some people just don't want to unlearn what they know. That's what I think. Mm. I think people, that's it's why true. people get a You have to be a bit more humble in the bubble because yeah. people are constantly telling you you're wrong and it is annoying. Yeah. Like I just did to you guys. <laughs> no, well, uh, you, you get are. complaints a lot in the bubble. The bubble is a place where you have to assess criticism all the yeah, time. Yeah, I think you do. So maybe you're onto something. Now, I have to say, firstly, that this is WOW's 10th anniversary. <laughs> 10 years old, double figures well. But also, this is the Guilty Feminists' 200th episode. What? That's right. 
which makes us sound better than wow, because 200 <laughs> sounds better than 10. It does. So I should say we've only been going four years, but mm. we just put out an episode every week, so that's artificially upped our stats. <laughs> I'm not trying to say we're better than wow, that's got to be clear. No. 200 does sound better than 10, but that's years as opposed to episodes. Yes. To get to 10 years with coronavirus... <laughs> Do you know, because the 10th one could have been a coronavirus crash and burn. Lots it of things been. cancelling. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coronavirus has turned every other festival into the fire festival. It's <laughs> basically what's happened. Well-meaning good people who've done everything right are having to dismantle. Is it putting you off going anywhere? Because I think yeah. this is all sold out, but there's some seats spare. Now, that sometimes happens just because people are on the wrong side of town or they bought tickets yeah. you know, three weeks ago and then they didn't realise, blah, 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 blah. But was anyone, did anyone think, oh, I might... I mean, I'm asking the wrong people. Was anyone too, <laughs> was anyone too scared to come tonight because of coronavirus? No, you're all here. <laughs> did anybody second-guess it? I did get somebody on Instagram message me and say, oh, well, we should come, but coronavirus. And I was like, mm. Come on, like, us. Yeah. Coronavirus. What I do think is interesting, Wash though... Wash your hands. What I do think is interesting <laughs> is that so many things have cancelled and, like, companies are going, we're not going to fly anywhere, we're, it's not safe to fly our staff. But when it's climate change, they're like, no, we can't do that, we have to keep flying. And this is, for most people... <laughs> so true. For most people... And I really, really don't want to undermine that if you catch it, you could give it to someone vulnerable if you're not vulnerable. So I absolutely understand the severity of this for vulnerable people, and that includes elderly people and disabled people. So do not want to undermine that. But for most people, catching coronavirus, if they're happy to quarantine themselves and not give it to someone vulnerable, is going to be a cold. Whereas the end of the world is going to be more at the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> what is up with that? Like... What is up with that? Like, we know that it's not good. And people are just like, Meh. I'm just going to boil it's, a kettle again. We, Do you know it's because we don't think it can happen. I think there's something about human beings yeah. where we just don't believe in the end of the world because we can't. It's a bit like I don't believe I can catch coronavirus because I think I'm probably not going to. Do you know what I mean? Like, I haven't... That old science. <laughs> probably I not going think, to. Don't, I don't feel it's going to happen. I just think we go around thinking we're the exception to the rule. I mean, unless you're someone who thinks you are going to get it. Like, I think there are two kinds of people. Those people yeah. who go, I think it's going to pass me by. And those people who go, I'm definitely got, I've probably got it now. Is that it? Is that it? I've got it. Just give us a That's cheer me. if you're a person that thinks you definitely are going to get coronavirus. In fact, you might have it now. And yes. you're, you're, you've got a tickle in your throat. <laughs> well... Give us a cheer if you're one of the people that goes, I'm just lucky. I like that kind of thing. <laughs> See? See? More people are just like, probably. So that's I'm why. I'm just going to keep on touching my face as much as I like. Uh, <laughs> touching your face is now a luxury, though, isn't it? It's interesting <laughs> what becomes a luxury in a very short period of time. Because yeah. I'm now like, that's, that's one touch I've allowed myself. I didn't really make the most of that. I feel like yeah. if you're going to touch, you should do a really lovely... Uh, a enjoy yourself. Light a candle. Light put a candle. on some Enya. <laughs> Get the sage going. Yeah. And then have a lovely face mm. touch. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 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 Don't do it and miss it. Do you know what I mean? Don't. Because yeah. you can't really do it anymore. And that's what I think about the end of the world, is that we all think it can't happen to us that the end of the world will happen to another generation. Yeah. Now, listen, it might happen to another generation, or it might happen to a generation that's currently alive on Earth now, 
And that is something that I've become much more acutely aware of. Mm. Some of you will know, because you listen to the podcast regularly, that I live with a Syrian refugee called Steve Alley. And he's got a fan in. Um, and <laughs> I think that's Steve, actually. <laughs> and uh, he says to me, I notice here people think it can't happen to them. Mm. That's what I was like. In Syria, we all thought can't happen to us and he said the whole Arab Spring happened and we were like well it can't happen in Syria it won't happen in Syria and he said we were in such denial he's sort of living a life of a quite middle class architecture student going back and forth and you know going out with his friends and going to the gym and, and he said even when the news started to come that there was this war breaking out in other parts of Syria we were like nah it's not because it couldn't because it's here and it's us so this is where we live so that won't be won't be the end of Syria as we know it. That's, that's one thing we can guarantee because life has always been this way. And Damascus is the oldest inhabited city in the world. So as if, as if bombs would happen here. And then when it started to happen, he sort of says like he was basically on a dinghy before he went, oh, this is happening to me. Like this is actually happening to me. So he says, oh, I'm ready to be a refugee again. I hope I'm not, but I'm ready. And so we talk about it a lot and like prepare our strategies and our strategy is basically he will get me over all the borders to survive <laughs> and I will get us a really nice Airbnb when we get there. I think that's fair. We've I think it should be on you to be honest because he's been through enough. No, we've struck so a deal. Oh, pay. I'm terrible at survival. No. Oh, oh no, you'd be terrible. I'll just be terrible. Oh. Are you ready for some stand-up comedy? <laughs> then put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the wonderful Susan Gosh, wow. Likeability. I'm very much on board with the whole, like, fuck likeability. Just fuck it. Like, who cares? Likeability, being liked. It's a mugs. Am I right? I'm right. I'm right. Who cares? Who cares? No, I don't want to be liked. I don't want you to like me. I want you to hate me. Hate me. Oh my God. Hate me. Get my rocks off. Yeah, mug. I'm not a mug. I'm not a likable mug. I'm a bad person. I'm a flawed person. I'm a flawed woman. Flea bag. I'm a flawed woman. Um, I, uh, I'm a feminist, but I, <laughs> I desperately want you to like me. I've said it. <laughs> it's pathetic and it's weak, but I, I really, really, really want you to like me. I want you to like me so much that if you were to give me your baby, right, not forever, <laughs> to hold, like, damn, here's my baby, and your baby started crying... I would take that personally. I would hold a small but significant grudge against your baby for not liking me for no reason. If you were to bring in your dog and I wanted to, you know, pat your dog on the head and your dog was like... That's not what a dog does. Um, and I would... That rejection would send me into a spiral for about 48 to 72 hours... I'll be in the shower coming up with fake arguments with your dog, just like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I might need external validation, but you're a bitch, and that's science. <laughs> you can't even come back at me. You can't even come back at me. Now, I don't know whether this innate, ingrained need to be liked came first, or whether I was born with it, or whether... I have this ridiculous, likeable, friendly face. Now, I've talked about this on the podcast before. My mum said that you've got, I've got a very round head, and that means that... Um, stick with me. 
Um, and that means that it, it means that I'm friendly. I've got a friendly face. I've accepted this. And the thing that's really annoying about it is that my face is so much more friendly than my soul. If you could hear the internal monologue that goes on in my head, uh, you'd be disgusted and I'd be arrested. Um, and so I've got that going on in my head, but also I want you to like me, so do you see where the conundrum is? Case in point, I'll be on the bus, on the top deck of the bus, alone, minding my own business, braiding my hair, painting my toes, what women do, girly things, on top of the bus, and a man will turn up, and listen, we're not gonna presume that this person's a man, but you know when a cis straight man appears in your space, you know, and he will come up to the top deck of the bus and there'll be loads of seats, seats as far as the eye can see. There's even the seat right at the front of the top deck uh, where you can pretend to be the driver. That, that's a <laughs> fantastic seat. Um, like the DLR. <laughs> the DLR. I have pushed... Okay, if you don't know what the DLR is, it's the Docklands Light Railway. And this is like this toy magic train <laughs> that has no driver and it goes around all the bits of London that doesn't have a soul, and it's <laughs> delicious. It's a great time. I have dashed young children out of the way to sit at the front of that thing. That's how good that seat is. This man will walk past that prime seat to come and sit next to me. He will sit next to me, he will start asking me lots of questions and I will answer every single one of them in the most friendly voice because I want to be liked and not killed. Um, that's a true story, true story. And um, <laughs> there is nothing that makes you gaze deep into the abyss of your soul, that bit that desperately needs to be liked than emotional abuse. Now, just from a yay, just a yay, who has ever dated a gaslighter? Yeah, it's pretty horrible. And it's not just in romantic relationships. You can get them in, you know, working relationships, friendships, families. I understand that. But it's a pretty grim experience, and it happened to me. And I'm somebody who grew up on a healthy diet of Destiny's Child, writings on the wall, Bill Bill's Bills, Bugaboo, and, you know, magical, sassy black girl dust. I was filled with all this stuff, and it still got me. I was still caught by one of these people, and it's pretty... It's pretty horrific. And one of the things that I've realized that I've had to unpack was one of the reasons why it happened was because of this innate sense of wanting to be liked and not wanting to be hated. So when I met this person in question, I was seeing someone else. I was being a millennial, if you will, and uh, having a really good time. And I met this person. And uh, after about three dates over the course of about three weeks, this person asked me to be their girlfriend. And... You might think that's romantic. It's called love bombing. You should Google it. It's not good. And, uh, and I thought, wow, why would someone want to date me so quickly? You know, I'm somebody who has arguments with dogs in the shower. And you want me to be the better half of this? This is weird. Anyway, but, um, so he asked me to be his girlfriend. And I said, oh, no, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a lady about the town. I'm a exercising my right, um, my autonomy. And uh, this person was so upset, so unbelievably upset, and I felt instantly guilty. I felt instantly guilty. And so, for whatever reason, a few hours later, I ended up back at this person's place. And the way that he set it up, we walked in and all the lights were off, which is not a good sign. And, uh, and he sat me down and he had this spotlight, this just one light, um, this one hipster light on me, um, which was like, 
line of duty, touch of frost, like interrogation light. And he sat me down and he asked me to tell him in great detail all the times that I had had sex with this other person. And yeah, shock. And guess what I did? I told, I told him. I told him. And I remember speaking to a mate of mine going, why did I do that? Why, why did I feel the need to appease this person? And she said, Suze, denting a man's ego has literally cost the lives of women. And that really, really made me think, gosh, that's the reason why I was like, I've got to make sure that this man's ego, not because I thought he was going to kill me, <laughs> would like to fucking try. Um, but no, I thought, no, I've got to make sure that he feels all right. And then this whole thing started where he started doing this sob story. He was like telling me about, oh, you know, all the sadness in his family. And I was, gen this is genuine. I was sitting there as he's telling me this whole victimhood, this has happened in my family. And I was sat there and I was like... <laughs> My dad's dead, be that. But I didn't say that, and that would have been quite funny if I didn't, I didn't feel the... <laughs> I know, I should have said it. And um, he's telling me all this stuff, and I thought, oh my God, not in the moment, obviously. It took me another year and a bit to realise. I was like, it's because the reason why I sat there and I felt guilt and shame and this desperate need to not be hated is because that is what is ingrained in a lot of us, in a lot of women pre predominantly, is we don't want to be hated and we don't want to be disliked. And so I sat there, I sat in that chair with the line of duty, touch of frost light for another year and a half, not there. I wasn't sat there for it. I did get up and go outside and do things, but I was there. And it made me, once I broke up with him, I realized that I had to break up with this idea of being liked and likability. So I was kind of joking before at the beginning, but fuck likability, fuck pleasing people. Yay, Fleabag. Thank you very much, guys, thank you. So I've spent my whole life worrying I'm not likeable enough. I am a likeaholic. I'd love to go around this whole audience, if I'm honest, and check in with each and every individual that you really like me. <laughs> that would make me more relaxed about the evening, if I'm honest. But even if I did that, I would think you don't, you don't really mean it. Like, even if you reassured me, even if you were like, no, I really do, really do, I'd be like, hmm. Or I'd think, you don't know me. You like what I put out there on this show, but you don't know me. If you knew me, you would not like me. I'd mostly think, are you just saying that? Am I accidentally gonna get a text from you later on this evening that you meant for someone else? but that was about me, in which you say, she's so annoying, but I need to pretend to like her because I need a lift and she's got a car. <laughs> I don't have a car, by the way, if that's why you're being friends with me. I don't have a car, so you just don't bother with it. Just ghost me. I'll get it. I had a revelation after I finally cut ties with the Jehovah's Witnesses five years ago, having technically left ages before, but discovered, some of you will know because you've heard me talk about it before, that I had a standoff with some particularly nasty Canadian Jehovah's Witness elders um, who somehow, who somehow managed to make this accent, how's about those leaves, hey? No, I haven't said that right. How's about those leaves, hey? They kept saying, we're worried. We're worried about him. 
Uh, we're worried about him. That's better. That's strong. That's strong. That's strong. That's how they talked. They somehow managed to make that accent sinister. And that is tricky, because that is not a sinister accent. There's no way of making that accent sinister, and yet they did. On the way on the plane back from Canada to London, I had an epiphanet. An epiphanet, if you don't, it's, it's not as big as an epiphany. I, I don't want to say it was an epiphany because I don't want you thinking, oh, I've, she's invented the internet or something. Do you know what I mean? An epiphany should be gravity. It should be something big. This was an epiphanet. Uh, that's my own coinage, but I'd like to spread it because I think it's useful. So now it's yours. If you do use it and you like it, by default, you like me. And on the way back, this is the revelation I had. Now, this wasn't a revelation about the trauma inside my body from my time in the Jehovah's Witnesses and being shunned when I left. So can you please not go, oh, because that's going to make me feel bad. So when you hear it, just a neutral response. Because I know rationally this isn't true. This was something that my body felt that I had this epiphanet about on the plane. You're going to want to go, oh, no, Deborah, but could you just not? Because it makes me feel sad. I don't want you feeling sympathy, okay? <clears throat> Just keep the liking coming. Okay. Radiate liking, okay. This is the epiphanet that I had. That I, was cr I cried for the full nine hours on the way back. Um, might have been 11. Uh, it certainly would have felt like 13 to the man sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> just cry. It was, I was in economy and sitting right next to a man who... So you know in economy you're like so close to the, ma to the man next to you and... I was just like, that he, I, I was crying on to him. I shouldn't say economy because that implies I sometimes fly business. I do because sometimes people fly me places business, but now I've said that it's maybe inaccessible and unlikable. <laughs> Some people are hating me going, oh, you had to be an economy, poor thing. We hate you forever now. And that's now made me feel very anxious. So I understand that's happened here. That's already happened. There's nothing I can do to take it back. But for the podcast, I can take it back. I can't have hundreds of thousands of listeners out there all hating me. So I'm going to do it again. <laughs> they won't know. So on the way back, uh, which was nine hours, might have even been 11 hours uh, on the plane, uh, certainly would have felt like 13 for the man sitting next to me because I was actually crying onto him because you know how close you have to sit on a plane <laughs> see now the listeners who were just on the tube listening to this are going why are they applauding that you've <laughs> given it away <laughs> uh, so the epiphanet was as I was crying for the 11 hours I don't think anyone would want to be friends with me unless I was providing some kind of service or opportunity in their life. Some of you are looking at me like you want to make a sympathetic noise, which I've specifically requested you don't. Now, I really like the fact that you've restrained yourself from making that noise, but that was what was at the core of my soul. That was sort of something that I had to release on that plane. It gives me what I call a fairy godmother complex, if you don't like me, you'll love what my wand can do. Look at this ball gown. Check out this golden carriage. What about these footmen? Yes, I will dress up animals and make them serve you 
if that's what it takes. How do you like me now? No, I'm really asking, how do you like me now? <laughs> Everything that I do, I realized, was doing things and making things and creating things so people would like me. And this is before I made The Guilty Feminist. So I thought, I'm going to try and make something that isn't about anybody liking me or needing me, or I'm just going to put out a thing in the space that I think is a good thing, and hopefully people will like it. But they don't have to like me. If they, some people might like it, but don't, they still don't have to like me. They don't, that's what The Guilty Feminist is. It's an attempt to make something where people don't have to like me. But do you, though? No one's answered, okay? That's not... <laughs> awkward. So, if you can't... You can't ask for a cheer. It's like asking someone to love you. And we've just learned that's love bombing. <laughs> so, look, I understand this is something I should probably work out with a therapist. But I've always felt, oh, you've got to find the right one and then you have time to go to them and stand-up is like that, except instead of me paying you, you pay me. So I, I can't see a downside. Um, therapists ever say, I mean, my therapists, I've had two therapists six weeks each, they never said anything. I'm sure there's amazing therapists out there and I really want to find one, but I have had an experience where therapists give you less feedback than stand-up audiences. Comedy audiences will laugh and smile and nod and if they don't laugh or say anything, you think, okay, noted, I'm the only one who feels that. But it's a broader sample, like one therapist can say, anything. They're just one person. I trust 2,000 of you more than I trust one therapist. I do. The I mean, there are probably a therapist in. Are there any therapists in? Just give us a cheer if you're a therapist. Great. How am I doing? Am I making progress? Great. I've got a thumbs up, yes, from somebody there. Any insights? Have you got any insights? Just thumbs up. Any, there's loads of therapists in. Any insights? I'm genuinely interested. Sorry? Okay, thank you. I mean, do that is such a therapist thing to it's say. Such a therapist thing. <laughs> Are you a good therapist? You sound German. Is that correct? You're a software engineer. You're a software engineer, but you're German, so you think, well, it's in the hood because of Freud, or <laughs> you just think, well, that's where it came from. Therapy started in Germany, so you're qualified. You're a software engineer. You just think I should do therapy. You're concerned about me. Yeah, okay. Well, I've worked a lot out over the years on my own time, to be honest. <clears throat> the internet, but thank you, thank you for your... So I was thinking if you are a German therapist living in London, I would probably go to you, because I feel like you'd be direct. I think <laughs> British therapists aren't direct. They, in my experience, I'm sure there's brilliant ones that are very, very direct, or as direct as you need them to be at the right time, and I know there are, because my friends have got brilliant ones, but I don't want to go to them, because then it mixes the stories. Um, what if I want to complain about that friend? Do you see my problem? No. But I would go to you if you were a therapist. As a software engineer, probably no. Probably no. But I like, I mean, maybe you'd be more good for me because you'd just be like, yeah, get the fuck on with it, you know. The internet has taken the concept of being liked and commodified it, which is what the internet does best. Remember when liking something was a feeling and not a favour? Would you please like my brother's thrash metal band on Facebook? No. I can't like it anywhere. I fundamentally hate it. 
I can click on it, but I've got to be honest, there'll be no thumbs up in my heart. We are now all constantly chasing the lowest form of likery, which is, I don't hate that enough to scroll past it without popping a thumb on it. Do you really like everything you like on the internet? No. Sometimes you just see, my friend has seen, I've seen that story now, so I should probably send them one of those little heart face, heart, a face with heart for eyes. Why? They're just wearing a new coat. You don't like it. It's a lie. You feel it neutral. You want to encourage them. But you're lying. Recently, uh, in fact, just this week, a United Nations study came out saying 90% of humanity is biased against women. Did you read this? The index was based on data from 75 countries that compromise 80% of the world's population. So that's a fair sample, I would say. 90% of the population, men and women, 90% of the population doesn't like 50% of the population. That feels extreme to me. Now, I'm going to be binary here. I'm going to talk in a binary way about gender trends in cisgendered humans. I think... This is just my observation on the world now. This is not what the UN study has said, and I don't want you quoting it as such, because I don't want to spread fake news. This is DF Dubs, just alone at home, spinning some thoughts. <laughs> like plates. So by all means, qu quote it, the way you're going to just use Epiphanet casually tomorrow. Quote it. Obviously quote it, but don't say it's the UN study. Right. This is what I reckon, just from my observations on the world, on cisgendered humans' gender trends. Men start with 10 points just when they leave the house. Just for getting out of bed. And they get points every time they do something likable. They get more points. And they have to do something really, really unlikable to lose points. But even then, that's hotly debated. Women start with zero points. And we have to earn any points at all to get to the starting block. It's very, very easy for us to lose points. Here's an example. Biden, Joe Biden, now listen, I don't want to bad mouth Joe Biden because we may all be having to back him quite soon. So I may take this back in a little while. But just for now, I think it's fair to say he's not a cogent man. Right? He's not, he's not an articulate man that when you listen to him you think, yes, good point. But he gets 10 points for being a white man in a grey suit. And if he kisses a baby on the campaign trail, he's up to 11. Elizabeth Warren starts at zero. She kisses a baby on the campaign trail. What is she trying to do? Give that baby coronavirus? What kind of monster is she? She's now down minus one. Woody Allen started with 10 points. Yeah, I'm going there. He's in the news this week. He's current. He's fresh and current, feminists. He's, he was a man person. Before women were pretty much allowed to do anything, he kind of came of age in the 60s. Uh, before women were allowed to do anything except be pretty. He made some good movies in the 70s. Some of them, in retrospect, have sketchy themes about relationships, especially between older men and younger women. In some cases, we feel we should have perhaps seen it coming. Um, but still, at the time, people liked them, and they are well-crafted movies, original movies. So he went up to 20,000 points because of those movies from 10 points. And then he married his stepdaughter, and he lost about 50 points. And then his younger stepdaughter said she remembered abuse and he lost, we actually don't know how many points he lost because he's, he still gets to make a movie every year, but he's going to have to self-publish his memoir 
which means he, like everyone here that doesn't have a deal with Hachette, is being censored. Just out of interest, just give us a cheer if you would like a book deal with Hachette and don't have one. Censored. All of you currently censored because you don't have a book deal with Hachette. He's going to have to crowdfund his book, like all of you are. He's one of the gang now. It's a bummer for him, I see that. But for some people, that's reinstated some of his likability points because now he's seen as a muzzled victim. Now let's compare Woody Allen to me. Why not? I made a screwball comedy recently. It's out now on iTunes called Say My Name. I'm... Yeah, thank you. Now I've lost three speaking gigs this week because of coronavirus. So I've lost money and I've lost big opportunities. Some of them came with business class travel. I'm not going to lie to you, but I will edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, gang, I suppose what I'm saying really is I'm the real victim of coronavirus. <laughs> if you look at it in the harsh light of day. It's an epiphany that I've had. Um, does that make me more likeable? that I'm the real victim of coronavirus? I feel like it should give me more points because Woody Allen is getting a lot more points on Twitter for being censored because he's lost his book deal. But I've been censored three times this week by a virus and I'm not even an alleged molester of any sort. <laughs> Gang, how many likeable points am I getting here for this? No. No. A thousand, that's amazing. Thank you so much, that one person. From everyone else, I'm getting none. I understand that. That's because I'm a woman. So I'm just going to go back to making podcasts so you'll like me. Thank you very much. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Just a quick break in the podcast to say that we have Patreon now. Because we used to be able to sell tickets to live events, we never asked the audience for help before. But now in order to keep making the podcast, we need your help. 
If you join our Patreon from as little as £2.50 a month, you'll get some extra content and goodies and our everlasting appreciation. If you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash guilty feminist. I'm also making cameo videos and all the cash from that goes directly to Choose Love Help Refugees. If you go to the Cameo app or website, you'll see lots of comedians and actors there making birthday videos, congratulations, thank you videos, pep talk videos, anything like that. If you want to reach out to a feminist in lockdown who needs some encouragement or a nice present and you can't reach them because of social distancing, a Cameo video can make all the difference. So let me know the details of the friend that you'd like me to say, I'm a feminist bot too, and I'll make a very special message for them. And that means you'll be choosing love for your friend and also for help refugees. I've just guested on a couple of other podcasts lately. One I mentioned before when I was talking about opening up my relationship to explore bisexuality. It's You'll Do by Catherine Bohart and Sarah Keyworth. And it's a podcast on BBC Sounds. They are a couple and they interview couples and they interview Tom Selinsky and me about our relationship. And mostly it's about how our relationship works, but also there's some sort of coming out going on there as well. If you're interested, it's a really, really lovely show. You'll do on BBC Sounds or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm also a guest on this week's Grown Up Land. The new format of Grown Up Land is absolutely exceptional. Please tune in to hear Sophie Duker, Heidi Regan, Ned Sedgwick and Steve Alley explore the grown up world. Uh, this week, the theme is The One. And I unpack a little bit more on my views on relationships in general and mine in particular and some recent developments within it. I hope you enjoy that too on BBC Sounds or internationally, wherever you get your podcasts. I also did a letter from Quarantine, which you can hear because I read it out or you can read at tortoisemedia.com. And I think Steve Alley's got one coming out this week too. Steve wrote an incredible article about the parallels between the refugee experience and the lockdown experience on the British GQ, and you can read that too. Just give it a Google. And finally, if you're looking for things to read while in lockdown, uh, The Guilty Feminist Book is available as an ebook. It's available as an audiobook, and it's available as a real live book. So buy it from someone who pays their tax. And now, back to the podcast. Today is one of the most in-demand actors in the United Kingdom at the moment. She trained like Susan McComa at the RADA and has appeared on the stage at the National Theatre, the Bristol Vic. But you will know her as Claire, the sister of Fleabag in Fleabag. You will soon know her and love her from her upcoming show quiz. Put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the wonderful Sean Clifford! We're not meant to hug because of coronavirus, but we've accidentally done it. I know. Susie and I tried not to hug when I came in, but then I just went, if you've got coronavirus, I want it too. That's so actually what you I said. Would, I'll quarantine myself with you. We'll quarantine, we'll stay away from anyone vulnerable and we'll just have it together. Yeah. We'll just get the Netflix on. And so I feel the same about Sean. We'll just do a joint quarantine. Yeah. We're all going to get it, so let's hang out together. Sean, thank you so much for coming and joining us. Uh, we have My pleasure. We, you were part of our incredible Royal Albert Hall episode, but I've long wanted to get up close and personal and talk to you. And I really want to talk to you about likability because it really plays into your new show, 
But I think one of the fascinating things about Fleabag is that Fleabag and her sister Claire were the most loved and liked unlikable people. Do you know what I mean? Like, Fleabag was likable because she was charming, but she was always, like, nicking stuff and then pulling it out and showing the audience and going, eh, eh, I've nicked it. She was always sort of going, like, talking over someone's shoulder about what a twat they were and then going back to them and going, hmm. And so she was that sort of naughty part of us. Claire, she was such an interesting character because she's Fleabag's uptight sister she's actually got this very steely relationship with Fleabag where they are often on the out for each other they often fall out they often have goes at each other she's not warm at one point Fleabag goes to hug Claire and Claire punches her in the face and goes what are you doing (laughs) and they haven't got this easy warm relationship and she's not a sort of quote-unquote likable woman and yet we love her please explain (laughs) oh god Well, I loved her immediately, but I never... The characters that I've been fortunate enough to play, I love them for their flaws and their humanity, and I think that's Phoebe's gift, is she writes people that, um, whoever they are, they're just... They're so real. I recognised all of those people. I've encountered all of those people in my own life, and Claire was someone who I immediately loved, and even though I think I'm quite different to her... Um, you, you are, you are. You're very um, warm and you laugh a lot. And I don't remember Claire ever laughing. Very occasionally. She, well, that's why she marries Martin, is he's one of the only people who can make her laugh. And also Fleabag is the other person. Mm. And, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, she really resonated with me. And uh, I just thought she was a, yeah, a real human being. And I, I couldn't wait to jump into her skin. She is real, but like if you look at someone like Skylar White from Breaking Bad, yeah. she was warm, she was fun, but she didn't want her husband cooking crystal meth and bringing <laughs> the most dangerous men into the house because she had a disabled teenager and a baby. And I felt that was quite reasonable. I think it's fair, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was okay. I thought fair. that was okay. But fair. sort of, she was, I think, understandably a bit cross about that. <laughs> Just a bit. But then once she realised, look, to hold the family together, we're going to have to do something about it, she got on board and she did wonderfully fun things like she role-played sort of being a ditzy to the internal revenue, like, oh, my God, I've met... You know, she was very flirty and that was complete act. And she, she was and the she one... she ran the car wash. Yeah, yeah. She, it was her decision to buy the car wash. She said that's more plausible than anything else because you worked there. We'll say it was... You've won this money gambling. Like, she was so smart about it. And yeah. people continued to hate her and write hate mail to the actress playing yeah, her. really? Oh, yeah, hated her. I didn't know that. And so what I find fascinating is that although Claire didn't have that... Well, that warmer side peeped out very occasionally with Fleabag, and mm. if you haven't seen the end... Is that, has anyone not seen the end of Fleabag? Yeah, OK. Could you just put your hands in your ears and just go la-la-la-la-la? Really la, la. Yeah, go And if it. you're listening at home, just turn it down for a second. My favourite moment in the whole series of two seasons is nothing to do with the hot priest and it's nothing to do with massive assholes. It's nothing to do with any of that. It's the most sisterly, feminist, incredible, relatable moment when Fleabag says to Claire, well, you should go after this guy you like and you should, shouldn't you go and run through the airport like a romantic comedy? And Claire says, the only person I'd run through an airport for is you. 
Oh my God. I know, yeah. It, it double take. I mean, I was crying anyway, but I was sobbing when she said that because I think that's true. Like, I would yeah. run through an airport for you, Suze. Yeah. Oh, gosh, don't. Yeah, it made me cry. No, I would. Cry. I would. I would. And I'd run through an airport for my sister. And, Sean, if yeah. you mess- WhatsApped me and said, I'm in an airport, I'm in a terrible situation, blah, 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 blah. I would. I would. For, you know, women I love, I absolutely yeah. would. But I think that's what's so beautiful about that relationship um, and why I believe it so much is that the complexity of female, not just sisterhood, but friendship, is that despite everything, you will more often than not drop everything if someone needs you. And it's in the, the first episode of the second season when Claire is in a spot of bother, I shan't say with what. Can we just talk put about your, it? Yeah, put your hand... Look, if you haven't watched it by now, it's really your fault. It's been out for ages. <laughs> just cover your... Shame. Actually, I don't think this is a massive spoiler. It won't spoil... It couldn't possibly spoil how brilliant it is. But if you've had a bad haircut, you know. Oh, no, I'm not talking about oh, that. No, she's talking about the first... I'm talking about oh, the first episode. episode. Oh, the first episode. Yeah. I'm referencing that moment, the miscarriage moment, because that's when there's been a... You know, a period of time has passed between them yeah. seeing one another. Mm. And so... It's tense between them, but still in that moment, you know, Fleabag drops everything as she does when Claire has her terrible haircut and she doesn't know. Mm. She just gets a, 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 dis- a distressed phone call. Yeah, where you think, oh my God. You Something. know, one time, yeah, my friend, I came home, my friend was staying with me and I thought when I saw her in the living room, she was crying so much, I thought someone had died. And it was a haircut. It was a haircut. She, she, was, it, she was crying the way I cried when my father died. And... Mm. I was like, oh my God, she's over from America and one of her parents has died, I thought. And I was like, run to her. And then she went, look at it. She'd been growing it, to be fair. Okay. Well, this, like, weirdly, the week, the week that that episode aired, I'm not kidding, I had, uh, I'm going to sound as bad as you in business class flights now, but I had a photo shoot. And, uh, and the guy, at that time, I actually had an A-line haircut, which means... Basically, it's longer on one side than the other. And, uh, but it was quite long. Like, it was, it was boob length, basically. And uh, the hairdresser that was styling my hair that day, he said, oh, it's looking a bit thin on this side. Can I trim it? And I said, yeah, sure. Just cut it so it's all, like, one length and just, you know, whatever. I, <laughs> I trusted him. Oh, you know, you he was, he was a Marl Clooney's hairdresser, so... A Marl I, Clooney's hairdresser? Apparently, yeah. That hasn't made you any more accessible. No. (laughs) Well, no, they told me this afterwards when I complained, because you'll see... So I just left him to it, and he curled my hair, and then the next day, when I was washing the gunk Mm. that they'd stuck my hair out, I was (laughs) like, oh. Like, my hair had been, like, here. He'd given me layers, (laughs) and uh, he'd basically given me a Rachel cut. (gasps) Remember that? Oh, yes. yes it doesn't suit me. But this wasn't 1995. No. Because that's the only time you could get away with a yeah. Rachel cut. This was a week after the haircut episode. I mean, it was so ironic. Oh. And bearing in mind it was here, it went up to like my cheekbone. Oh, you got the you I got, got, that got that haircut. Yeah. It you, was horrific. That seems like an exclusive scoop to the Guilty Feminist. I've never heard you tell that story before. Yeah. No, I maybe haven't told that story before. Oh, amazing. But yeah, so I sort of laughed it off because... You have to. I yeah. was in the spirit of... Mm. Of the show, but, ugh. 
Yeah. No, See, it, this is what, whenever... Okay, I'm going to be very inaccessible, but that's part of my thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Don't get too close. Uh, <laughs> if I ever dare to have a photo shoot, <laughs> I am so ghetto. I'll turn up with a bag, just like a Sainsbury's bag, full of wigs. And I'm like, here's Shirley, here's, here's Bemmy, here's Sarah, take your pick. Do what you want to them, you're not touching my hair. Oh, gee. For real, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had nightmare things. People just like, okay, so with your afro, we're just gonna, we're just gonna straighten it, and then we're gonna just blow dry it, and then I'm just thinning like around my hairline. So now I literally just have the most <laughs> ridiculous shopping bag of wigs, and I'm just like, cut those. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm I'm don't let them touch my hair. <laughs> I understand that. I really do understand that. And I think it's absolutely valid. Those you're going in for one day and then you leave with that on your hair. It's too much. And the thing about hair is it doesn't grow and it lasts forever. Um, I, that's how you feel at the time. Yeah. Now, I think the secret of Claire being likeable, because we do love her, is that it was written by a woman and it was played with humanity. So that was always percolating through, or the love between them was always percolating through. Tell us about Quiz, because this is about a real-life woman who got pilloried, yes. and this is, you know, this is something that's very relevant to the press at the moment. Women in the press getting trolled, getting pilloried, getting hate mail. So this is really, really relevant, and this is an actual woman. This is not a fictitious character. Can you tell us about her? Yeah, I would love to. I'm so excited about this project to come out, and, yeah, like, unfortunately, timely, actually. Uh, this show called Quiz is coming out, and I'm playing a character called Diana Ingram, who, if you remember the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire scandal in 2001. Some um, of our listeners won't have been born then, yeah. so could you fill them in? <laughs> so, that is Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which ago. hopefully you've heard of, one of the biggest game shows of all time. At that moment in history, it was the biggest prize money that had ever been given away mm. on a game show. It was the biggest show at one time. A third of the country were watching it. It was huge. It won every award, every year, always. And if yeah. you're a very young person, this is when the whole family had to watch one screen because there was only one screen. Can you imagine? And often your, one of your parents would decide what was on that screen and you, you would swipe the screen and nothing would happen. So it was awful times, really terrible Dark times. Dark days. So they would try and make things on the screen that everyone wanted to watch very rarely successfully but this was one that you should you know we it all, was like yeah, yeah it had this huge huge you'd, following you'd and sit in the chair and you know there'd be sort of music and you'd, <laughs> you know there'd be multiple choice and you could narrow it down to two and you could ask the audience to chip in it was a great game yeah. show and you could win a million pounds back yeah. over to and, you and it's 15 questions which it's the simplicity yeah. of this show is what made it so addictive because it feels achievable yeah. like even now when I play it on a plane because they sometimes have it on flights as a game I'm convinced I'm going to do it yes every time every time you think I can do this I can do it and um, Diane Ingram was one of those people who became obsessed with this show her and her brother Adrian and basically her and her husband were accused and convicted of cheating their way to a million pounds and he's referred to as the coughing major even though he didn't cough at all but that's just because people are stupid <laughs> anyway um, simplistic or they've misunderstood the narrative but that's the narrative that was led by the press and that is mm. the 
only side of the story that we've ever been exposed to, yeah. which is that it's this open and shut case. They absolutely did it. And hopefully we're going to blow that story wide open. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So was she in some ways pilloried more than he was? Yeah, because so she, she was, was portrayed as this kind of Lady Macbeth character. And I was very careful in my research of her to avoid all press uh, that was written about her because they just described her as, you know, all the classics, manipulative, calculating, mm. that she'd engineered the whole thing. He'd had nothing to do with it. And amazingly, they're still together as a couple, which, so, um, there's a real... you said they were brother and sister. No, 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 so her and her husband, Charles, there's her brother, Adrian. Oh, yeah, okay. I got... That they were obsessed. Like, oh, my gosh, we have to take another turn. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply panicked. I was like, yay, I guess. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad they're happy. What? <laughs> they just... <laughs> this has turned into Game of they Thrones. They pushed through <laughs> all the taboos. Yeah. No. So, initially, sorry, that's me. I'm such a tangent talker. No, um, no, we, no. We so her and her brother initially became very, very obsessed with the show. Right. And then she roped her husband, Charles, into going on right. to the show um, once her and her brother had both been in the chair. So their whole family had, had been on. But it's a really fascinating tale. Like, we're uncovering new evidence. There's a thing called the syndicate, which was actually called the consortium, which is a genuine, like, group of quiz nerds who sort of found a way into the show. So they wow. sort of, yeah, uh, they sort of exposed its weaknesses and procured a lot of money from that show wow. because of it, yeah. And have you had to work quite hard to find this other side of her so that we can see her as a fully rounded human being and not just the worst person in the world? Well, what's extraordinary about how the press create a narrative is that I just watched, I didn't have much footage of her, I had some footage of her on the show when she went on, and of when she's the guest of her husband, when he's in the chair. But apart from that, there's this half an hour documentary. And of course, she knows she's on a camera, so she could be painting any kind of facade that she wants. But I decided to just, you know, ignore everything that had been written and to just observe her. And I'd sometimes turn the sound off and just watch her, actually. Mm. And for me, there was just something... Uh, deeply naive about her, really introverted, really shy, and very sweet. And I decided to just go with that. I wanted to get to the heart of her because, to me, it was very obvious that that's who she was and not this other thing that had been created, this monster. Mm -hmm. Matthew McFadden plays Charles, and he and I met them on our last day of filming. And it was the most magical moment when I met her because she radiates that feeling of sweetness Mm. and not this kind of dark thing that um, she'd been painted as and I just thought it was so cruel and they were persecuted by the press and harassed beyond anything you could imagine. They're still dealing with the repercussions of that now. And And it actually wasn't even Twitter at that time. Yeah, no, no. there was no social media, anything like that. Um, Can you imagine? But they, you know, they they were questioned by the police and they showed, they got, and they went home and their lawn was covered with the press because the police had tipped the press off. And James Graham wrote it and he is just a master of lacing his stories with political truths. and, And this moment in history, so... When Charles initially went on the show, it was two days before 9-11. 
And so initially, ITV didn't think it was going to be investigated because this other much bigger um, situation was going on. But of course, it was a different department of the police force. So it was investigated, but it was very... Um, it's a time that James was really interested in looking at, not just because he was obsessed with the show himself yeah. growing up and fascinated by the story, but because he thinks it was the beginnings of when our relationship to truth began to blur. Right. It's when reality TV just took over. Mm. That was so... Around the same time, Big Brother was Millionaire was 97, yeah. and yeah, Big Brother was 2000. And so it was just around that time that that format really took over. And so it is interesting, and it, yeah, it does predate social media, but I would say the harassment levels are exactly the same and the things that happen to them as a family are shocking and nobody knows that side of the story at all well um, I really look forward to seeing it I think the really recent terrible terrible tragedy of Caroline Flack's death does demonstrate to us how important it is to be kind or to be quiet online but I don't think the Be Kind or Be Quiet campaign has lasted very long. And I no. think people are right back at it. And women always tend to come in for a worse time yeah. because, as the UN study says, 90% of people are biased against women. Mm. And the thing with the tabloids is, I think, you can at least tell yourself they live to make money, they live to get clicks, they are soulless and they have no moral compass or their moral compass is horrible but you can see their reason to be, which is to make money and sell papers and now get clicks, now that everything's online. But I think when you see a million individuals who have nothing to gain, yep. talking about you and talking at you and speaking about you in such a horrendous way, that's when I think it's very hard to reconcile because then it's like a pack of wolves and what are they getting out of it except seeing you destroyed? Yep. Do you worry about this, Sean, as a woman in the spotlight? Do you worry about, like, if something happened in your personal life that hit the paper? Does it put you off being in the public eye? Does it make you nervous? I don't know that it makes me nervous. I'm definitely wary of it, and I have very strong boundaries around stuff, and that's the thing. I just think, as an individual, you just have to be really clear. I just think the, the second you dehumanise anyone, you're in trouble anyone in power who's doing that to other people that's the problem is you're dehumanizing people it happens to celebrities and it happened to the ingrams you forget the human cost you forget that there's another person on the other side Something. of that for me it's more just the hypocrisy of that i find so disheartening that a lot of the people shouting about support caroline flack are the people that have torn you know jamila jamil apart or mm -hmm. you know and i just think there is a culture of bullying and if you've I don't know. I don't know if the bullies were bullied, but I was bullied at high school. And it's the worst thing to be on the end of. And it's behavior that is just completely unacceptable. And of course it comes from, I have compassion and empathy, of course it comes from insecurity and feeling that you need to drag others down in order for yourself to rise up. But it's just not true. And um, it's such a cliche sort of to see one another on more of a level and as equals and all of those things but I, I really believe in it I believe this is a like we've reached a kind of crisis point I, mm -hmm. I believe it's not a coincidence that all of these things are kind of culminating at the same together. time do you feel Susie if 
90% of people have a bias against women and therefore women get more hate online. When you add in an intersection like being a woman of colour, a queer woman in some way or another, there are other intersections that intensify that. Is that something that you live knowing that you're a person in the public eye and you're online? Yeah, I think I've spoken about it on the podcast before. There was something that happened a few years ago with Leslie Jones. Actually, I think I definitely have spoken about this, which genuinely scared me. Before that point, I was just, it was, you get a job and you do it and you have a good time and then hopefully you get another job. No kind of like weird career plan of ascendancy at all. And what happened with Leslie Jones, who I think out of all the Ghostbusters lot, I think she's the only one prolific on Twitter. And she's a comedian, she's a stand-up, she's, you know, she's really funny and all that sort of stuff. And so that's what she uses her platform for. And purely because she was in a mediocre remake of Ghostbusters, what I saw in her timeline was, to this day, terrifies me. Um, she was getting pictures of lynchings sent to her. She was getting pictures of gorillas sent to her. Um, she was getting death threats. Um, I think she... Uh, information did get hacked and this was all because Mm -hmm. she was in Ghostbusters nothing else she's not even particularly political she definitely isn't now that scared me to the point where I had to reassess my whole well I I was going to come off social media but in the same token social media brings so many people together my industry is less lonely being a black woman being a working class woman because of social media I would never meet women like me in jobs because we were always going up for one part and now I know that they're all out there and they're all doing stuff and there is such a community but I had to really reassess my relationship with all of that because all it takes and I've had it happen to me twice all it takes is one tweet and you will get the worst shit sent to you and I've always found it really scary that these are people who've got nothing to gain but I am a firm believer that the people that do tweet this stuff or send this stuff they would never say it to your face I don't believe it. I think it's the being anonymous behind a computer and that's why people are oh, so vicious. Completely. They would, I, don't, I really do not believe that they would say that to my face and that's what I hold on to. So we've then got to think about, you know, why is it that um, people feel comfortable saying such awful stuff? Right? I mean, and I have to be very careful about, you know, even the causes that I are back online because it can turn really ugly and really, really nasty so quickly even the fact that I have to think about that is annoying and makes me angry. I should be able to post what I like or not or be present or not. And it did consume a lot of my time, particularly after what happened to mm. Leslie Jones. That scared the shit out of me, actually. Yeah, and, I understand. Yeah. I think you're right about people wouldn't say it to your face. I remember that amazing interaction that Sarah Silverman had where someone, a man just wrote cunt to her. And she wrote back and said, I've looked down your timeline and I can see you've got back problems. It really sucks. I have chronic pain as well. That was her response to this man just saying, can't. And he went, oh, yeah, I have. I'm really sorry. I, I don't know why I said that. I just, I guess I just wanted to, just wanted to hurt Lash someone out. who seemed famous, you know, who seemed better, having a better time than her, him, and get a reaction from a celebrity. And then they ended up talking, and then she said, hey, my friend Dave in Florida has got back problems and he hasn't got medical insurance, so he can't do anything about it. Any osteopaths would give him some free work. That'd be really great. And next thing he knew, he had a free osteopath, and he was like, I'm so sorry. And I think that, yeah. And I guess he was so sorry. Um, But that, if you can build one bridge on Twitter a day, if you do go on Twitter, if you can build one bridge a day, And if somebody else, if you think 
Jamila Jamil needs to be called out on this. Can you see that anyone else has called her out on the thing that you need to be... Well, then you don't need to do it. That's what I think. Because I really feel strongly about it that you don't know what it's like to get 10,000 people saying varying degrees of horrible things. And some people might just be saying, hey, I don't know if you thought about this, or hey, I feel upset about that, but some people are not. And so if you become part of a chorus and a choir, and it's really useful to see if you could do some positive bridge building instead, or see if you think somebody's, you know, oh, I'm not sure about that, just check. Oh, someone else already said that to her. I don't need to do that. Yeah, I had something on Twitter recently. I tend to try and, like, just keep it pretty light on Twitter yeah. because it can be very quickly... Much like the show. ...descend into it's gone very light. successful... I know, it's gone very I know, we're we keeping it so light. But, um, no, someone posted something board, bordering on racist. Racist. And I noticed, and I never normally click on these things, but for some, some reason that day I did... And the first comment was actually about um, Vanity Fair, which is a show that I'm, I'm in, this period drama. Uh, basically, everything that it said was inaccurate. Right. My initial response, I was offended by what they were saying about this particular actor who's an actor of colour who's in the show. But rather than going for them and making them feel stupid, I just presented them with the facts. I got no bite back at all. I just got, oh, okay. And I think that's the thing is if you're going to build bridges, you have to go high, mm-hmm. you know, when they go low. And it's really challenging because... It's really challenging. I do understand if you are someone who feels your humanity or identity is being eroded, that you cannot always do that. Yeah. And I really understand that. But if you are an ally to the people in that group and you're not in that group, it's mm-hmm. your job to build the bridge. Yeah. It's not your job to set fire to the bridge that's already there. Sean, you have been an absolutely amazing guest. Big round of applause for Sean Clifford. Thank you. And my incredible co-pilot, Susan Wakoma. And to sing us out, we have one last treat for you. She's a British singer-songwriter who was nominated for the Rising Star Awards at the 2020 Brit Awards. And her debut album will be out later this year. Put your hands together and make incredible guilty feminist woohooing noises for Joy Crooks! Hi. Hi, Joy. Hello. How are right. you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Good, Thank good. you. I didn't know if I was meant to speak or just sing. You can. Oh, you can. Yeah. You can do yeah. whatever you love. You just speak. Okay, yes. yeah. This is me speaking. Now, Joy, Joy Crooks, I hear, is this true? Is this a true story or is it a rumour? Is it an internet rumour that you are supporting Harry Styles? Have I made that up? Um, it's true. <gasps> How exciting. So, have you and Harry Styles already been hanging out and stuff? No, we haven't hung out, but we've... Um, I said hello to him at the Brits. Fair. Excellent. That's good. How did that Could you that re- recreate that moment for the for the people in the audience who love Harry Styles? All right. Me. So I'm sitting at my table, and I yeah. said to someone at my label, "It's like, um, yeah, he's not going to know who I am. It's going to be really embarrassing." Also, I was in traditional clothing from Bangladesh, which is where I'm from, and I looked pretty um, intense, you know, but like in a good way. <laughs> I was in this huge yellow lenga. If you know what a lenga is, you know what that is. And I had all this jewellery and stuff. 
And uh, I was like, he's definitely just going to be like, who's this chick? So I go up to him, and he's like, so good to meet you. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> mm. um, still doesn't know who I am. But he did know, and then he cost me because I could only do five dates out of the six dates that he offered me, and he knew about that. So I was like, oh, wow, I'm in very good hands here. So um, and we he, were both dressed in yellow, so it was a moment, you know? Oh, I saw yeah. him in that yellow suit. So you were also in completely yellow clothes, like yeah, two yeah, canaries. Yeah. Um, two fabulously attractive canaries coming up to each I other. Don't, and I don't know if I'm ready to be compared to a canary, but... <laughs> not yet, I was not just yet, seeing as this golden <laughs> moment, because I just think the canary is the most beautiful bird, and you just sort of... I actually don't know what a canary looks oh, like. Oh, they're really beautiful, yellow and they, <laughs> they, they, sing, and they sing really beautiful. You know sing. the term, sing like a canary? No, right? but I just thought yeah. of McDonald's when you said canary, and I don't know why. I think it's because it's shaped kind of like, you know when you can't draw and you try and draw a, a bird? Yeah, yeah. And you draw golden McDonald's. Oh. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I was thinking of a beautiful golden-plumed canary, but you're both um. singers, and you just came together yeah. and you had this right is there a spark there are we um, i don't no. want to start he's not eating out of my bird cage anytime soon <laughs> <laughs> ain't happening mate <laughs> no way i've got a lovely oh, fella yeah. here tonight wherever he is um and i'm quite happy and yeah i'm so just sorry not, it's just not gonna Deborah, happen i'm so Goodness sorry say. i acted like one of those e reporter you, know, you really hey, do you really love <laughs> I'm so sorry, it just slipped oh. out. I'm not meant to do that. This was more a, this is more a conversation for the dressing room. Yeah, it was. But you know what? We live. <laughs> we move. I'm going to sing now. <laughs> Go for it. This has been a delight. What are you going to sing? What are you going to sing for It's us? a song called Don't Let Me Down. But don't worry, it's not about erectile dysfunction. <laughs> We've got a comedian in there. Oh, right? Seriously. So funny. <laughs> right, yeah. Okay. Broken. Now your fleet 
change colors I had to lie to see red Just to get you off of my chest I know you're the type to tip waiters with all your emotions But don't you forget So you crawl into my bed Right, can you sing with me? It's just don't let me down. You can think of willies if you want to, ready? <laughs> don't let me down. That was so shit. What the hell? <laughs> Am I not here? Don't let me down. Don't let me down. One more time. Don't let me down. Don't let Cheers, thank you. Thank you. Okay, now I'll do another song. Yeah, great. Not about if you like how I sing 
Come and spend it on me. 
the WOW Festival. We know it's a really, really big honour and we just want to say a big happy birthday to WOW. Thank you everybody for coming out. Uh, big round of applause for everyone here at the South Bank Centre. <laughs> big round of applause for our phenomenal interpreters. <laughs> Susan McComa. Sean Clifford. And Joy Crooks, who is now going to sing us out in the traditional fashion, and her accompanist. Sorry, I don't know your name. Charles. But you can call him Frenchy because he's French as well. Charles. Frenchy. We can call him Frenchy. Yeah. Are you okay with that, Frenchy? Very he's okay happy. Anything today. Very, he's very yeah. happy with that. And you're one of the very few men that we've had on the show. Probably. I'm very honoured to be here. Oh well, <laughs> delighted to have you. Um, he's Joy a feminist. This fine. Is he? Yeah. Isn't that right? It, it is right, it is right. You're welcome. I'm, I'm happy you've confirmed that, because if you went no, it would be awkward to finish. Um, no, I hate equality for women. Um, uh, Joy, your voice is absolutely astounding. Thank you. It's really something. You're, you're a really special talent, and I feel like you're soon going to be like as famous as anybody has been in the history of famousness and I feel like what we kind of know each other now do you know what I mean yeah you know that feeling it's like basically right. what I'm saying is can I have your number yeah you no, can I'm gonna say this um I've just met you and this is and crazy, crazy right but here's my number and call me maybe yeah yeah is there any chance you can quickly do that before you do the last one or no do you know the chords to that he probably does oh my Amazing. I'm not going to do this happen. song. <laughs> Go on. No, I'm not, it's not happening. You do it. I'll talk with you. Hey, I just met you, and this is a bit mad. <laughs> I don't feel you. <laughs> what happened to your voice? No, no, no. Well, you this is the thing, right, 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 right. I love karaoke, and when I do karaoke... I can't sing. So I told someone that had only ever met me at karaoke that I'm a musician. And they were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you can't yeah. sing like you at karaoke? At no, karaoke, no, no. you're just like, hey, I just met you. Dun, dun. And this is this crazy. crazy. <laughs> and here's yeah. my number. Bon, bon. And call me baby. Ma this oh, maybe. No, call me maybe. Is like, maybe. So call but you can me be, maybe. You can be direct. Call yeah. me now. <laughs> call, call me, me now, drop yeah. call. That's more mm. feminist, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've, I've just, just met, met you. you, and this is quite reasonable. <laughs> so here's my number, and call me or I'll judge you. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry, close the show. Joy Crocs, okay. everybody. Thank you. I don't know this song very well. I might be looking down a little bit at my shoes. So please, 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 can you join in? Because that is the fashion as well, isn't it? Yeah. 
Susan McComer and our very special guests Sean Clifford and Bridget Christie. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Live music was by Joy Crooks. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Domino, Shireen and everyone at Women of the World, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com.
It'd be relaxing, to be honest, to sort of go behind closed doors and, I mean, I shouldn't say that, I'd t- cut that out. <laughs> so there's going to be so little of this podcast left, to be honest. Uh, er- no, no, yeah. Tom, could you just cut out everything I've said to date? Great. Super, thank you very much. A huge thank you to the amazing patrons who have supported this podcast at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. Valerie Marr, Jungle Coy, Sarah Boom and Sarah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com